Hey, true New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. And I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. Hey, Darren, how you doing? Doing good, doing well, doing well, doing good. I'm doing great because, uh, hey, we, we got ourselves a guest here in the uh, on, on the podcast, as you say. Yep. Your story checks out. Yep, we do have <laughs> indeed have a guest. It is a guest that is familiar to both of us. It should be familiar to regular listeners of the podcast. Uh, he's been on the show at least a couple times before, I think. And uh, he's also mentioned on the show rather frequently. It's super producer Frank Hablawi. Hey, it's me. I'm the guy they said. That's the dude. Yeah. Hey, um, mention on the show, I would say a lot more before I cut out most of my mentions. Because man, you guys going in on me real hard. We're and... we're big fans. We're oh big no, fans. no, that, I would not call that fandom. No, no, yeah. maybe toxic fandom. Okay. Uh, in our de- in our defense, we didn't know you were listening. True. I mean, yeah, you, you have repeatedly tomato. not understood how this works. Yeah. I do not, and I refuse you, to okay. learn. I, I want to ask you a question right off the bat. Do you listen to all of this show? I do every you week, do. all of it, and and so we send uh, you the audio file. You listen to it from beginning to end, and then you make the occasional edit. I will give you a heads up if I think there's something that we should cut out, like either an awkward moment or a weird pause or something, or a, like, like an incredibly loud Darren page turn. Which oh, is you know that drinking game on the Twitter. The, uh, well, I guess on the Mastodon, whatever we're on now. Whatever. Uh, but Oof. yeah. Oh, take another shot, guys. Take another shot. Shot, yeah. shot, shot, shot. Yeah. Dar- Darren and I have talked about that. I like Darren and I differ in that Darren writes out his notes on a yellow legal pad mm-hmm. like a Luddite. I, I write my notes on my iPhone. Yeah. It's like uh-huh. a Gen Zer. Yeah. And, and you can. Sometimes here, Darren flipping the pages on that. <laughs> on a Luddite and a Gen Zer, and they do a podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah I for mean, those that can't. Another show right there. Yeah, for those that can't see that, I'm wearing my, uh, I'm reading my notes on a yellow legal pad, looking through my bifocals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a nice warm uh, cup of brand milk. By my side, you know, because he's speaking in one I'm of sorry, those. Did big... you say brand milk? I was trying to think. I was trying to think of like something brand, and I don't know. I yeah, this is what this is why I got kicked out the groundlings. I cannot brand, improv. brand milk, which is, <laughs> as far as I know, not a thing. No, yeah, you know what? If you can milk an oat, you can milk a brand. Sure, I'm sure, it's coming. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's what we're saying. So uh, the reason we have. Our, our producer, super producer, Frank Hablawi, and it is Hablawi with an H, not a mm. K, as some of our Twitter followers seem to think. Whichever way makes you happy. Honestly, I don't want to make anybody upset about this. If you need to pronounce the silent K, you can. Well, I think it's just how I happen to say your name. The, the first mm. and last name were running together, and so a lot of people were assuming that your name was Frank Hablawi. Mm. Uh, it works. Which amused me to no end. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, it's like the name of a wrestler or something. It really, Mm -hmm. yeah. It's like a sound effect from the Batman TV show. Um, So the reason uh, Frank volunteered to come on is we are covering uh, the weird Al Yankovic movie, UHF. And we we decided to do this, A, because there's the new Weird Al biopic 
that's on Roku right now. What's the name mm-hmm. of the, the biopic again? I'm blanking on it. Weird, Weird. the Al Yankovic story. Right. Where, where Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al. Mm-hmm. And we, we also decided to do UHF because SNL cast member, SNL alum, Victoria Jackson is in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's, she's definitely there. She exists. She is there. She is in the movie. She shows up in the movie once in a while, sometimes even in focus, sometimes even in frame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It is weird, like how she's in, I mean, she's in the beginning of the movie. She's at the end of the movie and like sporadically she'll like maybe pop up. Like, I don't think she has too many scenes with Weird Al himself. And there's supposed to be a couple. She, she disappears for long, long stretches of this movie. I was kind of surprised how little she was in this movie. Um, yeah. Now, this was actually my first time watching this movie all the way through. Wow. From what I understand, both of you saw this movie like back in the day, right? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, Frank, you go first. Oh, oh thank you. Uh, yeah, I watched this. I can't remember how early. I may have seen this as early as 1989 when it came out. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I did, but I wasn't like journaling films back then. Certainly not on legal pads like Darren. Sure. Because uh, he was already in his mid 50s. Uh, <laughs> but I was on AARP. I, that's right. Uh, but yeah, I, I it was it has been baked into my DNA. Most of what I grew up thinking of comedy, I at least had some roots in this film. And uh, I think as we talk about it, more and more of that's going to show. But yeah, I, 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 I remember distinctly talking to people about the films that came out in 1989 and what this movie came up out against. And it's it's shocking. Yeah, yeah I, I remember the summer of 89 very, very well. But like, Darren, you, you talk about your experience with this movie. Uh, yeah, um, it's I mean, I you look at, at like most uh, dorky, nerdy. Uh, awkward teens. I have a huge love for Weird, Weird Al Yankovic. I don't believe I saw this in the theater because this came out uh, July twenty first, nineteen eighty nine. So I was probably around twelve. So I this this should have been like my like I'm the I'm a target demographic for this film, but I don't think I saw it in the theaters. But I do remember it coming on quite a bit on you know Channel Eleven and Channel Nine every you know Sunday afternoon or so. So I probably watched it there. And I really liked it. I remember, you know, it, like it, it's like it's a it's a movie that's like very kind of quirky and dorky. A lot of pop culture references. A lot of it going over my head. Like uh, I oh, mean, yeah. I saw I saw this before. I saw Close Encounters, so I didn't get that whole uh, mashed potato volcano joke, mm-hmm. or um, you know, or the we don't need no stinking badges or joke. Uh, but I still, you know, I still loved it because I was a huge fan of. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic. I still remember fondly seeing his videos like, you know, Eat It and um, Like a Surgeon. Uh, I'm a big fan of, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like some, you know, Weird Al purist, but I'm a fan of his uh, his deeper cuts. I like, uh, you know, uh, I Lost on Jeopardy. Uh, mm. She Drives she drives Like Crazy. Another one rides the bus. Stuff like that I really dig, too. So, yeah, this movie was uh, right in my wheelhouse when it came out, but I, I did not see it in the theaters. Yeah, I was trying to remember, like, when I popped this movie in this morning, I was thinking it, it came out earlier than it did. I was thinking it came out, like, 1985, 1986. So I was surprised when I looked it up, and it's like, oh, no, this came out in 89. And, 
you, you were saying it was July 21st, 89. And I was like, oh, so this is why I didn't see it in the theaters. I was nearly 17 years old. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, uh, Darren, like what you were saying, you were 12 when this came out. I think that's like the perfect age. Yeah, it is. Um, and uh, I, I, I did a little research. So when I looked into when this movie came out, apparently uh, Orion Pictures, the film, the you know production company that put them out the movie, they tested the film. It did really well with tests and they had so much confidence in it. And they thought it was going to be a huge blockbuster. They were like, yeah, let's put this out in the summer. So, um, oh, movie, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So this movie came out the same day. As another movie that we've talked about on this podcast, uh, When <laughs> Harry Met Sally, yeah. it, it came out a week after uh, License to Kill, the James Bond film with, with Timothy Dalton. Right. And it came out two weeks after Lethal Weapon 2 and Weekend at Bernie's. So, and it came out a month after Batman. <laughs> that too, yes. Batman, yeah. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. I I very distinctly remember the summer of 89 because I was like right smack dab in the middle of high school then. And I remember the anticipation for that because like we were we were going to get a new James Bond movie. We were getting a new Star Trek movie. We were getting Lethal Weapon 2. We were getting the the first serious Batman movie. And so, I mean, being a 17 year old nerd in the summer of 89, it was like, oh, my God, this is going to be the best summer ever. And. Yeah, some of those movies worked well, some less so. But mm. yeah, I don't. I don't think there was really room for UHF in the summer of '89. Yeah, uh, this film had a budget of five mil, made six, uh-huh. so it wasn't quite the blockbuster Orion was hoping. And I believe Orion actually went bankrupt like a year after this movie came out, or two years oh, after. God. Yeah, it I was. was I looked up the IMDb trivia for for this movie, and apparently, and um, Weird Al's. DVD commentary when the Orion logo comes up, he starts singing, they're bankrupt now. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Orion used to be a big deal back in the 80s. They had some hits. But... It kind of was. It kind of was. You don't you don't hear so much Orion anymore. I don't think there's any like Orion nostalgia out there. But when that credit sequence came in, I, was, I, I felt nostalgia. Yeah. Well, yeah, think, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Darren, you were you were good enough to loan me the, your copy of the DVD uh, so I could watch it, and I didn't have to like track it down to the library or on streaming or anything. So I've got the description on the back of the DVD. I'm going to just read that for people who might not know about this movie. Um, Weird Al Yankovic, Kevin McCarthy, uh, Inner Space, Michael Richards, Seinfeld, David Bow. I think its name is spelled Bow, or maybe it's yeah. Bowie, the Cable Guy. Victoria Jackson, Saturday Night Live, and Fran Drescher, the nanny, star in this inspired comedy about an offbeat guy who turns a deadbeat TV station into a raging success. Broadcasting Weird Al's unique brand of humor, UHF is a place you'll want to visit. With increasing frequency, George Newman, Weird Al, is a daydreamer whose hyperactive imagination keeps him from holding a steady job until his uncle hires him to manage Channel 62, a station that's losing money and viewers fast. But when George replaces the station's reruns with bizarro programs like Wheel of Fish and Rolls Wild Kingdom, where poodles fly from third-story windows, uh, ratings begin to soar. Can George find the money he needs to stay on the air? Stay tuned. Ooh. 
Sounds captivating. Sounds classic. This is a classic 80s versus like little guy versus the big corporate monster movie. Yeah. Right? This is such a it's such a basic 80s premise. Yeah. Tried and true formula. Yeah. We like even though like the 80s was the decade of where corporate greed heads became really prominent, uh we were still making all these movies about defying the corporate greed heads. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense that people would want to make these movies and see them. The weird thing is that it was the corporate greed heads that were okaying production on these movies. Mm-hmm. And that basically shows you what you need to know about how hard it is to get under the out from underneath the thumb of this big monstrous culture we've made. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Wait, tell weird. the masses there, Frank. Tell them what's up. Yeah, weird, weird Al, ahead of his time. He's trying to teach us things. Right. Yeah. Like at one point in the movie, there was a a bit where they they were making some gun control jokes, and I and I just was like, oh god, I'm so freaking depressed. This is still topical. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I think the guy said like gun controls for wimps and commies. Yeah. I'm like, All right. This was obviously a George Lucas like CGI. They added it in many decades. Nope. Nope. That was still a problem back in 89. Yep. Oh. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, uh, yeah. 30 odd years later, and we're still having these same stupid debates. And, right. Yeah. Still, still rolling that boulder up the hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's interesting, despite the the early like obstacles this movie had, obviously in theaters. And most people, obviously, did not watch it in theaters. And most people who have seen it have since seen it in some kind of like low budget. And right, I I managed to see it free streaming on no less than four different platforms yesterday. <laughs> but I was like, oh, where am I going to find this? I can't. I don't know where my DVD is. Oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> It's it's absolutely everywhere. Did you watch it like one time on each platform, just with four separate screenings? I I almost yeah almost. I started watching it on YouTube, and I was like, and then my wife was interested, and I was like, okay, let me log in to see if I could uh, cast that to our television. And um, and my wife was interested. I'm, there were big quotes, air quotes on that. That was sarcasm. She was willing to let me put it on. And when I, when I turned on the television, I was already logged into the Roku channel because the night before we had watched uh, the Weird Al story, Weird, the Al Yankovic story again for the first time with friend of the podcast, John Minus. Hey. I hadn't seen it before. And when I put it on, I was like, hey, I wonder if the if uhf is on roku and yep it's free on roku too so yeah just watch it everywhere folks this is the end of the podcast right this is where we say whether or not we should recommend it for people save them a half an hour or two i'm do it watch this movie immediately yep that's it we're done nerds out all right nerds out (laughs) um oh all right i'm gonna say not so much (laughs) oh okay uh yeah, this it, it it didn't really work for me, and I I realize like I'm watching it as a 50 year old dude instead of like a 12 year old dude in the 80s, which is really the optimal way to watch this movie. So like if you have time travel and you can time travel back to 1989 and you can somehow make yourself to be 12 years old when like when you're taking that time travel trip. Where, where they're saying on the social media, you can go back and talk to yourself at age 12, but you can only say three words or you can only say 10 seconds. Um, maybe you can make this part of that same trip. Yeah. I don't know uh, why you're offered a trip 
a time travel trip and yet you're somehow so severely limited by what you can say to your past self that seems to kind of defeat the purpose of such a trip but whatever okay. i mean I, I think it it writes itself i would uh, the three words i would say to my young self if i got the time travel was go watch uhf wow pretty yeah some, pretty good yeah i mean it's i mean it's just helpful right just helpful life advice yeah, I, I don't know what the appropriate age for this film was. I mean, 12, sure, I think if you're a kid or whatever, you, you'd enjoy this film. But you have to imagine, they certainly didn't expect it to be just little kids when they put it out. And yeah. I don't think his fan base, like the Dr. Demento fan base, uh, which is kind of like the the origin of all this weird, goofy parody music and, you know, just weird movies and this cult status that the film has now, it must have been for older people. Uh, so like, if you haven't seen this movie and love it already, I, yeah, I don't, I can't expect you to have missed the boat on this. Like right. no other nerd you've ever run into in the last 20 to 30 years has ever suggested, Hey, have you seen weird Al? Yeah. Well, that's what you mean. Yeah. I, th I think, also, you know, like part of why it didn't work so great for me this time around was because I I did know a lot of the gags already just through cultural osmosis. Mm, yeah. um, like I, I knew the he does a parody, the money for nothing video from Dire Straits with the Beverly Hillbillies. And I remember that playing on MTV and on yeah. whenever Weird Al had a, like a half hour special on VH1 or something, he'd play that. And I've seen clips of bits like I was familiar with the Conan, the librarian and the Gandhi, too. And hell, I remember like Opie and Anthony, the uh, radio DJs, they, they used to uh, use sound clips from this movie. As really? Like, recurring sound clips like the, you know, stupid, you're so stupid. And, uh, and yeah, I remember those were like part of their regular repertoire on that show. So even though I've never seen the movie from beginning to end before, it was very, very familiar still. And if you've ever seen Weird Al in concert, he's had full clips from the movie playing at, usually during costume changes. So mm. obviously there's a fat suit uh, for when he does fat on stage and it takes a little bit to get into that suit. Right. And while he's doing that, they'll play one of the clips from the movies from the movie. Um, so little extra information. And I, I, please, if you have a structure for this that you'd rather go for, just tell me to, to shut up and uh, I will cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> you think we have a structure for it. this podcast. That's yeah. adorable. <laughs> Uh, but like that? so the secret origin of non-productive in many ways is uhf oh uh the when we were originally a production uh department in a, a college radio station uh we would air sketches and we called the group non-productive just as a play on the production department. And these sketches amongst the ones we recorded originally, like original sketches that we would write and record, um, we would also record, uh, we'd sample things from the UHF movie. So there was a time early in non-productive before we were a podcast network or, or available digitally when we were just on AM, uh, FM radio, you could hear the full audio of Conan the librarian or, or wheel of fish or something else like that. So a lot of these sketches did work their way into early non-productive and conceptually the idea of what if we owned our own network and we put whatever we wanted on the air mm. is non-productive. That is our, that's our website. 
That's not dashproductive.com. And all the shows, including the one you're listening to right now, the only reason we shove them on the air is because that early concept of let's let's have a place of a weird place of our own or a place for weirdos. It I think a lot of it comes from this film. I could which see is that. crazy. Yeah. I could see that. It's definitely I think that's the thing that a lot of people gravitated towards with this film. It just feels like a movie for just oddball weirdos. Like a lot of the sketches, uh, like you said, it, I don't know, this movie's kind of interesting because it does, at times it feels like something out of like Kentucky Fried Movie, some of the little yeah. sketches, and then sometimes, exactly. yeah, and then sometimes it feels like um, something from the Zucker Brothers, like Police Squad or Airplane, especially during um, uh, George Newman's uh, dream sequences, like the Indiana Jones opening or the Rambo mm-hmm. uh, dream sequence. I, it feels like, or oh, I feel like something Police Squad would have done. So, and, yeah, and it, just like the it, vibe it, of it is just very offbeat the way they're making all these like uh references to other things in movies uh, emo phillips popping out of nowhere just mm-hmm. things that you could tell like only a certain sect of dorky nerd would get and appreciate yeah it's uh it's very kentucky Fried movie very amazon women on the moon uh where it's just sort of a rapid fire thing a lot of parodies in there I remember on the VH1 Weird Al Behind the Music, they talked to Emo Phillips because like those two are friends in real life. And I know they just played Carnegie Hall together, I think. Ooh, yeah. Um, and Emo Phillips, at one point, he holds up one of his residual checks from UHF to the I camera. And that. it was like a grand total of 30 cents. Yeah. He just says, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Big money. I remember that same bit from UHF. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, from uh, VH1. Yes. Uh, and there's so many little like it, a lot of this is certainly for weirdos. And a lot of it is also for like comedy nerds. Yeah. Uh, so Frank Conniff, TV's Frank, right it, it, from MSC3K, you yes. know, definitely someone who makes content for the weird kid uh, once said, I think when uh, Emo Phillips was at Carnegie Hall, that Emo Phillips was the greatest uh, comedy writer of all time. Uh, or, or the greatest living comedy writer. And when you look in through the work of Emo Phillips, he's very weird, certainly oddball. Mm-hmm. But like there's a there's a craftsmanship. There's an interesting way he delivers jokes, even in his one little bit where he cuts off his thumb in this. It's done differently than even I remember it. Like the time, upon rewatching it, I thought he said, isn't my face red when the blood squirts all over his face? But no, he was just saying it was embarrassing. He was just sort of like kind of mm. put off by the entire process. There's no screams of pain or any. It's right. It's not over the top, but that makes it over the top. So I do think there's a little element in this film that is just you have to really think way too hard on some of these things. And then you find them funny. I remember like Emo Phillips, he actually has written one of my favorite stand-up comedy jokes of all time. And I don't really remember the routine, but it was, it was him as a kid. It was him being called into the principal's office. And the principal said, Emo, Emo, Emo. And I said, I'm the one in the middle, you drunken slob. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm probably paraphrasing, but that is, literally one of the cleverest jokes i've ever heard yeah in a stand-up act but 
Yeah, and there's there's so, and there's things that like I even now I'm still discovering, and it's odd because I recognize how how if you Trumbull telling me that he wasn't like 100 percent into this mm-hmm. does not surprise me at all. Not because of him, but because like yeah, this is a this is an awkward meal. This film, but like well, finding I, out that the Kipper kids were in this, uh-huh. and I'm like, I have seen them since I was ten. And I had no idea what the whoa, 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 whoa. And I think I've even done that with friends. Yeah, Never I was wondering what the hell that was. Yeah, I had yeah, no idea I who looked, they were. I, I happened to pay attention to the credits because I guess now I've gotten used to watching the credits to see if there's like a post-credit sequence, which would blow my mind if there was a post-credit uh-huh. sequence yeah. for 1989's UHF. There wasn't, by the way. But I noticed well, I mean, the name, it wasn't like, unheard of to have a post-credit sequence. Like Ferris Bueller had one. Yes, yeah. And that's the first yeah. one I could think of. But I'm sure there were there were others. But the, and it was like the Kipper kids, and I'm like, wait a minute, these and there was like this indie weirdo comedy troupe oh. out of like New York from the 70s and 80s that that whole thing flew over my head for decades, and then I'm like, oh, this is a this is a nod to something really weird. This would be, uh, I guess, somebody showing up. This would be like a kid watching. Arrested Development in 30, 40 years and being like, why is he painting himself blue? What's that about? Oh, yeah, yeah. And then you're like, oh, there was a there was a troop that did that. There was blue man troop is a thing. It's so there's so much weird stuff in this film uh, that I feel like every time we say the word weird in this podcast, someone should take a drink and we would be responsible for many, many, many poisonings. Yeah, yes. like, I think there's, yeah, like, things like that, I, I didn't even know that until you just said it just now, because I, like, when they had that, you know, the where, where, where twins, I was like, what the hell is that? But I, I, I part of me kind of appreciates that, uh, well, the script was written by um, Weird Al Yankovic and his, uh, I think his manager and the guy who directed uh john levy or levy jane levy yes jane levy (laughs) yes and uh yeah and they would just put in these things that you can tell that like they probably knew not everybody in their audience would get it but they knew the right people would get it and they thought it was funny so it'd stay in uh Mm -hmm. like i said before like i saw this movie before i saw a close encounter so i didn't understand that mashed potato volcano joke i didn't understand the very end it's not a volcano it's it's devil's tower yeah. Oh, right. Whoa, I... whoa. All right. Sorry. <laughs> oh, we got I'm a, sorry. We got I cannot a... let the close encounters slander pass. Was well, that slander? I just didn't know what it was. It's not a volcano, Darren. Oh Get your God. facts straight. Jeez. The entire point of the film was that it wasn't a volcano. <laughs> but yeah, like I didn't know that. I didn't I didn't see Gone with the Wind, so I didn't understand the ending of this film where they parodied yeah. Gone with the Wind. And again, the scene with uh, Raul from uh, Raul Wild's Kingdom. Uh, R.I.P. Trinidad Silva, who played Raul. Uh, I didn't. I didn't understand that. We don't need no stinking badges line because I did. I had never seen a, the, the treasure of Sierra Madre, so, so that mm-hmm. line totally went over my head. Like my dad had to explain it to me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's part of what like being in a little cult film. So back in the day, before the the monkey's paw wish of geekdom being like the most popular subculture out there Mm -hmm. uh you had to hunt for your tribe you had to find people who were weird like you or maybe we were forced forced to find people that were weird like you and um yeah that part of the deal was that like you you got 
all these little references. Like if I made that sound, wow, 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 to the right group of people, I would be ignored by most of them. Right. Right. And then a few people we would point and be like, yeah, UHF. And then we would all kind of know it. Badges. We don't need no stinking badges. I did not know uh, until film school or like until a film class in college. I didn't even know that was based on a film. It felt like it was a reference to something. I had no idea what. I think mm-hmm. I knew what a Wilhelm scream was before I realized movies reuse sound effects. All these little things are make you part of the club. So I guess finding it out like decades later that, oh, yeah, this is the context of some stuff. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't hit as well as if you grew up with it. Um, yeah. And that's why it's hard to make a cult film. You got yeah. to no, grow into you it. You can't. You can hardly ever make a cult film while intending to make a cult film. Yeah. Uh, and I think most of the great cult films come by their weirdness, uh, honestly. Uh, like, there was a, a reference that hit me in here was uh, early in the, mil- in the film where Weird Al's character, George, goes to the UHF station that he's been given, essentially, by his uncle. Um, he, he meets with the scientist character. Uh, Milo. And I can't yeah. And, and Milo's like, oh, and I have my interocitor here. And the interocitor is like the thing in this island Earth. Oh, big, my God. That's human... why. Yeah. Yeah. And which and I know this island Earth pretty well because that's the movie that they riffed in MST3K, the movie. Um, so <laughs> there were a lot of interocitor jokes in there. So that popped out at me. Um, uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, just to bring up, since you mentioned MST3K, uh, according mm-hmm. to what I read on uh, IMDb, uh, Weird Al actually wanted Joel Hodgson to play the role of Philo originally, but uh, Joel turned it down because he didn't think he was a good actor or a good enough actor to do it. And he wasn't like I, I love Joel, but like he was very awkward. Yeah. Uh, and Joel was like an area stand up comic. He was a prop comedian. Uh, I'm, I'm, maybe MST. Yeah, I think MST3K may have just started being more popular around that time but his he would have been more known as yeah. prop comic than anything else so yeah it a- would have been a- 89 90 was like right around the time they were getting started on uh comedy central or, or i think it was the comedy channel back then right so uh the role i remember of- there was there was ha there was the comedy channel and then neither one of them was quite making a go of it as a comedy oriented cable channel so they merged and they became comedy central right yes yeah. i do remember that uh, so, yeah, so then the role of Philo went to Anthony Geary, who is most uh, well-known for his role as Luke Spencer on General Hospital. And I think mm. it was, it was I think it was like a weird choice. Like, they never thought of him oh, to, to okay. be it. Okay, that's how, that's why he looked familiar. I was looking at him, and I was like, I know that face from somewhere, but I couldn't quite place it, you know, because he, he looked a little different. He has, a, like, the goatee and the glasses. And, yeah, yeah. Okay, He's... so Luke from Luke and Laura. Okay. Yes, okay. absolutely. Uh, but then it turned. And I know, yeah. I know that Jeannie Francis is married to Jonathan Frakes, Riker from Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, nice. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. But yeah, like Just I think a bit of trivia in my head. Yeah, but I think it turned out Anthony Geary was a big fan of uh, Weird Al, and he wanted to do it, and he was really good at doing that deadpan delivery, so he he got the gig. That's cool. I mean, it's it's a very interesting eclectic cast in this movie. Like the villain is is Kevin McCarthy, who's probably best known from well, he's known for Inner Space, but he's probably best known for in being an invasion of the body snatchers. He was in the original back in the day, and I know he has a cameo in the '70s remake. Uh, so, and I'm I'm sure it was it was because of that that he was cast. 
uh, Fran Drescher is in this movie pre nanny. Uh, yeah. And Michael that's Richards what, pre Seinfeld. I, so the last two, the Michael Richards and Fran Drescher. Uh, so this is one of the reasons why this movie continues to be weird. Because mm-hmm. like if you watched it, for example, if I started watching it like in the, I watched it again in the mid nineties or even early two thousands. I think that's when I first was like, wait a minute, Stanley, that that's Kramer. I'd right. seen the movie dozens of times, but because Kramer wasn't Kramer until after, it wasn't even weird at that point. Uh, yeah. It wasn't weird until I had seen Seinfeld, hadn't seen UHF for a while, went back. Same thing with Fran Drescher. I had, oh my God, she's the reporter character. Wow. Yeah. So there's all yeah. these little things that co- come up afterwards because it's such an odd, eclectic mix of, of people in this thing. I mean, Billy Barty is in this movie. <laughs> Billy Barty pops up like 30 minutes in. I was like, Billy Barty! <laughs> Dr. Demento's um, in it, you know? Is he? I missed him. He's the, uh, there's, it's in one of the credit sequences for Stanley Spadowski's clubhouse, um, uh, Spadowski's clubhouse. There's like a guy who's being fed whipped cream in the audience surrounded mm-hmm. by children. So for some reason, there's a grown man in that audience as well. <laughs> oh, and boy. that's him. That's, that is Dr. Demento. Oh, cool. All right. Well, that's nice. I mean, uh, yeah, Weird Al does seem to remember and take care of his friends. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't know, like, uh, there's, I, th- I think that's, I mean, I, I know for John, for, for you, this movie didn't work, but I think for me, it, it did work just because again, like I saw it when I was a young age and I don't know, there's just something about the sort of, sort of manic, almost anarchistic vibe that goes throughout this movie and the performances I really dig. Like, I know this is a weird owl movie. There's an argument to be made. I think like, Michael Ridget almost steals this movie. Like every scene oh, yeah. he's in is hilarious to me. I mean, he's yeah, he's certainly given it his all. I mean, yeah, watch it, watch it now. I mean, and I can only watch it through today's eyes, so I don't right. really have nostalgia in the mix here. So I can just watch it, and I'm just like, oh, everybody's going at like eleven out of ten in this movie, and it it gets a, a little exhausting for me to watch now. I w- I wish people had modulated their performances a bit more, but it's. But it kind of felt like just being around a hyperactive six-year-old for a few hours, you know? I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah, you've uh, done a podcast for Darren for a while now. and mm-hmm. I yes. get that. Yeah. Wait yes. a minute. Hey. Uh, hey, wait a minute, whoa. you. I think we have to talk about the individual sketches overall. Um, but I guess my last little thing, a little like meta uh piece of information about UHF is it is also responsible for the Weird Al reconnaissance, uh, renaissance, I guess. Or the reconnaissance, uh, yes. He's been under surveillance he, he, by the FBI definitely. for quite some time. For that, for the pup, for the poodle flying scene. I actually, sure. I do believe wow. that was cut on some of the, uh, some of the airings because this time I didn't remember there was a pile of poodles underneath this window. It's yeah, I saw that. I, was... I think there were, I think there are cuts of this movie that doesn't have the pile of poodles or they cut it down a little bit where he throws the poodle out and you could hear the dog, like the dog is still alive, but yeah. not, in the, not in the actual version. Well, maybe, uh, but... yeah, they could, they could have easily cut that out when it was airing on TV or something for yeah, either for time or content. I don't know which, I mean, I'm sure that this was a movie that was cheap to acquire and easy for like local stations to 
to air on Sunday afternoons. Darren, like right. you were saying, you were watching on Channel 11, which is one of the local stations in the New York area here. Uh, but <laughs> but the, the, the little bit of info is the SNL tie-in, the comic with the most SNL um, uh, status, obviously, is going to be Victoria Jackson in this film. Apparently, she, as you were saying, tr- Trumbull, um, that she, that like kind of Al keeps his friends close uh and mm-hmm. uh she was the victoria jackson at the time anyways was so friendly with weird al and uh he reached out to her to get him in touch with nirvana who was guesting on snl at the time oh, that's right yes because there was no other way he couldn't get through to nirvana and yes. he wanted to do a parody of them because he had just had a bad album. People were considering him the you know one or two hit wonder because all he does was all he did was Michael Jackson parodies. Um, and yeah, if not for this, I don't think we would have gotten smells like Nirvana. And that really did kind of light the fire back and bring bring Weird Al back from his original fame. And I think it once you could, make your yeah. second wave of yeah, fame, yeah, I, I think it kind of did. I think Gen Xers in particular kind of rediscovered him because yeah. of that and i know weird al's told the story he said like he got on the phone with kurt cobain and kurt cobain was like yeah you can do a parody of it um is it going to be about food and weird al was yeah. like uh, no actually it's going to be about how nobody can understand your lyrics because you mumble <laughs> so no matter how things and ended up with victoria jackson uh better list better left unsaid wait know. wait wait how did how did things end up with Victoria jackson no just well, let I me just, google this oh no yeah, yeah. oh so, no yeah oh. here's here's the thing there's still chance there's still a chance she is actually the funniest person who has ever been on snl <laughs> and she is de- committed to the bit like it, she's just doing this andy kaufman this is an elaborate ones. andy kaufman-esque Wow. routine she's pulling on and if so wow the levels the levels the levels the, yeah that would be brilliant i don't think it's true but that would be brilliant it would be <laughs> uh, so transitioning into the sketches if you want to my yeah. favorite aspect of all the sketches you could start with almost any of them i love them all as a kid and when, when i had a you know stupider sense of humor i guess but like how i what i almost forgot about was how super violent so many of them were yeah needlessly violent and i love that i don't it was so fun this time around watching it again yeah, I but think... it's but it's very cartoony violence. Yes, like, yes. I mean, like somebody gets literally split in half during the Conan the lar- Librarian sketch. <laughs> Don't you know yeah, the I've... Dewey Decimal System? And and he's he's like he's bisected like from the middle of his head through the middle of his body. And I told you, I like I've listened to that the audio on that a million times. We used to mm-hmm. play it. I, I remember like thinking it was funny. I think when I was young, it was like it was weird that Conan would talk about the Dewey Decibel system and be that passionate about it. There was probably a certain amount of like it's fun to hear um, uh, Schwarzenegger like like um, mimicry, you know, like just very surface level whatever. And yeah. and watching it this time, I'm watching I'm like oh, I have I have the nostalgia feels of laughter, but not like really laughing. And then that sword bisects that kid. <laughs> and I totally forgot what happened. I thought he was beheaded, but he's just cut down the middle. Yeah. And it was hilarious because I'm like, why? 
what a choice to make. That must have cost so much money to make that one thing, that dummy that got cut and split, split in half. And it, yeah, it's just these little funny things that still make the movie fresh and gross. Yeah, I think, uh, I think because of that, the film got a PG thirteen rating instead of a wow. PG. Like I think, yeah, because like I think I know uh, Weird Al was like, yeah, I really like didn't. I, he was trying to make it more PG, but I think because of things like that and a few other quote unquote gory, bloody scenes that they pushed this film into PG thirteen. Even though no one really curses or anything it's just like this cartoony yeah. violence which is and weird yeah, because no even like Darren. yeah like even when you call it gory yeah it's not even all. gory yeah like the uh the conan librarian uh thing where he splits the guy out there's no blood in there that's what makes it's even that's what makes it even funnier yeah it's like a, cl- a clean cut mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i mean i guess we found the real reason darren didn't watch it back when he was 12 he was a law-abiding young man and he could not he could not get parental guidance he was like no i'm not yeah. gonna go in this film that's right that's right year my mommy and daddy wouldn't take me uh yeah there is any other bits that you uh, ring out to you to you guys uh i mean i like the dreams the rambo dream sequence i thought that was pretty funny like the one part where one of the guy where uh in this movie um because uh stanley spadassi becomes such a huge hit on the uhf uh, channel, which, uh, sidebar, it, do you ever, there's that one, like, radio station in the middle of Secaucus, you ever seen that, like, in, in the middle of the swamps and drive by there, and it reminds yes. you of UHF? Yes. You know what I'm talking about, right? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I've wanted to work there for some reason. <laughs> I was like, oh, man. Oh, I know what the reason is. The movie UHF. Right. <laughs> Just put unrealistic <laughs> expectations in my head, and also stupid, stupid ideas. Right. Exactly. Like that. All every time I drive by there, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's the UHF building. I bet. But um, but yeah. Anyway, uh, so because Stanley Spadaski becomes a huge hit on this UHF channel, the uh, competing channel run by R.J. Fleischer, uh, Channel Eight, decides uh, to kidnap him <laughs> at one point. And uh, so at this point, uh, George had a dream sequence where he goes to find him and save him. And then, of course, that dream sequence is a Rambo sequence. And, uh, and while he's dressed up as Rambo with the, you know, Weird Al curly hair, mustache and glasses, uh, at one point, somebody's like shooting at him, the gun, and he's like slowly gets his bow and arrow and walks slowly towards him while the guy's shooting at him. And he slowly walks towards him to the point where they're literally a foot away. And then he just yeah. shoots the arrow at the guy and the guy explodes. So I, the, I'm fun. trying desperately not to spoil anything about Weird, the Al Yankovic story, and I won't except that there is a lot of that of there is a scene in the movie that mirrors this close enough that I was like, huh, interesting. Yeah. I actually, I watched that a couple weeks ago. I enjoyed that a lot more. I think that was much more my style of humor. Um, And I I think weird Al's humor has evolved enough that. Yeah. It it speaks to me more. So I can see that. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just want to make it clear. I, w- I was so-so on this movie at best, but I love Weird Al. I just right. think he probably works better in smaller doses, you know? Right. You have you have mm-hmm. more of a refined palate when it comes to your comedy. I do. I do. I mean, I was I was watching this entire movie with, like, one pinky out. Because <laughs> I'm, mm-hmm. I'm refined. Wearing an ascot. 
Yes, yes. Smoking with a cigarette holder. <laughs> no, 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 this doesn't quite work for me at all. Yeah, but I mean, uh, I mean, Trumbull, you're not alone because, like, when this movie came out, it got mixed reviews. Um, yeah. A lot of critics straight up hated it. Uh, Roger Ebert said that yeah. uh, Yankovic's approach to satire and parody works for the short form music video, but not doesn't work for full length movies. Uh, Roger Ebert said that Yankovic's lack of screen presence creating it creates a dispirited vacuum at the center of many scenes yeah and uh yep. siskel said never had a co- never has a comedy tried so hard and failed so often to be funny wow yeah <laughs> i'm glad those guys are dead <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> oh wait the mics are on frank oh god You're going right. hard frank maybe the producer could cut that out he won't <laughs> Uh, Maybe he should. I mean, (laughs) if it makes you feel better, uh, we discovered on our episode about spies like us, Roger Ebert, also super pervy. No. Yeah. Okay, good. Super pervy. Mm, Yeah, that's what I meant. He goes off on this tangent when they're reviewing Spies Like Us, where he's all just all about, like, hey, Vanessa Angel, hubba, hubba, hubba. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Actually, if that's all he said, it'd almost be cute. But yeah. Something tells me. Um, uh, but so, yeah. So, like, this movie, uh, yeah, when it came out, it didn't do well at all. I think it, like, it yeah. was out of theaters by the end of the month. I don't even think it was in well, theaters. I, for I'm, the reading, I'm reading on IMDb, the, the trivia page on IMDb right now. It says, Orion Pinchers went bankrupt before this film was released, leaving the film with no publicity budget. So... No wonder it didn't do well. Yeah. Which is weird because Orion Pictures, and I think MGM must have bought them after. Something because like they, that, I think, they yeah. put out, uh, they put out like a lot of movies that won Oscars, or at least were yeah, nominated they were, they for were like prestige. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I'm I'm pretty sure, um, God, what is that? The uh, Dances with Wolves came out after oh, this yeah. movie. So yeah, they must have. Yeah, that was like 1990. That's, that's an Orion okay. movie. Yeah, so they must have changed hands at some point, and then, but they just long enough not to be able to support this movie and Weird Al. See, as much success as Weird Al has now, and I think you can look at it, and there is a real re. I can't do it. Weird Al Renaissance. Again, producer, edit that so I sound cool. Okay. Uh, Weird Al Renaissance. There, as much as there is now, Weird Renaissance. Like, do you want Maybe. to try that? Yeah, I guess. I'm not going to do it again. No, that's okay. just somebody else. People at home assume I said that at the first take, and it was yeah. great. Uh, he had such difficulty for a long part of his career just staying relevant, which makes sense because, you know, parody song yeah. artists, I can't think of another one, maybe one other one that stayed relevant over a course of many years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you I know, think maybe that... early. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a thing. Like, um, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I kind of like what Weird Al's been able to do has been pretty incredible. Because when you think of song parodies, at, like you, the shelf life on a song parody isn't very long. Like, unless it's something connected to a holiday, like, you know, Monster Mash or Grandma Got Run Over right. by a Reindeer. Like, song parodies, right. like, they're cute for a couple of months or so, and then they're just old hats. So the fact that he's been able to have this decades long career based on song parodies, it's pretty remarkable. You got to admit that. Uh, Absolutely. And I mean, I think he, he really had, he really has 
great selections of material. He writes genuinely clever lyrics. They're, they're not just, uh, he, he doesn't go for like obvious jokes and he writes really clever original material too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, I mean, he does style parodies that are, that he sometimes just nails it. Like his, um, like dare to be stupid is Devo style yeah. parody it's it sounds like a devo song and i think mark mothersball was like oh yeah that's like the greatest song that devo never wrote uh mm. frank's 2000 inch tv sounds eerily like an early 90s rem song i i listen to that uh for real i just get i get the urge to hear that every few months and i just look it up on youtube and i'm like you know frank's 2000 inch it it's gorgeous um my dream is for rem to just reunite play frank's 2000 inch tv and then just immediately break up again i think that <laughs> yeah, would be funny. that would work fantastic yeah. uh, so guys i also looked up uh since we were talking about orion a while ago i looked up the other film that orion put out and i mean th- they had some huge films you know the great santini they put out author amadeus uh purple rose of- right amadeus yeah platoon <sighs> hannah and her sisters hoosiers uh bull durham mississippi burning uh, for crimes and misdemeanors, dances with wolves, silence of the lambs, and oh, yeah, silence of the lambs was like a couple of years later. They must have been bought out by some other company, and, and, and literally silence just didn't have won, money to yeah. do VHS. They silence ba- of the lambs won all the Oscars. It won best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and I think best screenplay. It was it won like the big five, which was like the first time that had been done since. One flew over the cuckoo's nest, and then before cuckoo's nest, it was like it happened one night. Like I think those are still just the only three films to do that. Yeah. So I just love that they at least there may be some evidence that they momentarily went into bankruptcy just long enough not to support this movie, <laughs> and they come back swinging. Ah, <laughs> oh, good, good. I like that. Oh, crazy. Yeah, it's uh. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's it, something else it's something any else. other sketches that you really any was there a single sketch uh john that you liked um i still have i think a nostalgic affection for the money for nothing parody because i remember that watching watching that in the 80s mm-hmm. and liking that a lot and it's funny to look back on that now because that that dire straits video that like blew everybody's mind in like 85 86 whenever that thing came out computers yeah yeah it was like this was all animated with a computer and it's like these you know super blocky things and uh yeah and weird al just (laughs) that made it about the beverly hillbillies which is just you know the sort of random pop culture thing he does once in a while um Mm. so i liked that the uh the indiana jones the raiders parody was kind of impressive because it does very closely duplicate the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And doing that on a 5 million budget, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And um, I wonder if that was, I always wonder if that was like rushed to put on or planned even to be put on because it was coming out against Indiana yeah. Jones of the Last Crusade, which is the ballsiest thing in the world to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, you know what will be fun? Yeah. We're going to, and the fact that he's going for an Oscar. Which is yeah. like, come on, mm. who are you kidding? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's actually a kind of a funny, 
uh, parody of like kind of how Spielberg's career has pivoted. Like I think ever since probably Schindler's List, where he's just like, he, you know, he wants those Oscars so bad. He wants mm-hmm. to do those prestige movies. And he used to do just more kind of like just popcorn type blockbusters like like Jaws or Raiders. And I think even Close Encounters, not that those films don't have some depth to them, but they're not primarily about the the dramatics, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. very true. Um, let me think of something else. Oh, yeah. Um I mean, another sketch that I really enjoyed in this film is uh, the Geraldo Rivera parody they had in here, the, the town talk. I was just going to bring that up. No I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if people remember the Geraldo Rivera Al Capone vault special anymore. I only remember it as an anecdote of like bits that went poorly. And yeah. I, I remember watching this, not like when I originally watched UHF, not picking up on the reference to Geraldo. Yeah. <laughs> so like Geraldo Rivera, he was, this was like, of course, pre Fox news. He was like this tabloid journalism guy, but actually I think he started out as a pretty respected journalist. And I think this was kind of the start of his downfall um, of being respected. He mm-hmm. had this two hour primetime special on network TV where they were going to open up Al Capone's vaults, which I think were just like recently discovered or something like that. And they were going to open them up and explore them on live TV. And, Find, uh, apparently find all these amazing secrets like were they going to find bodies were they going to find treasure were they going to find evidence Hoffa. of war crimes yeah and, jimmy hoffa yeah and <laughs> apparently nobody ever stopped to say hey maybe we should take a quick glimpse in there before we do this live two-hour special because <laughs> like a bit, and he found like next to nothing in there <laughs> So he just had to vamp and fill time. <laughs> stretch, stretch it out. And it's just like, you know, maybe if you do a live television event, plan it out a tad. <laughs> then you lose the spontaneity, man. You know, I mean, like like SNL, but Lord, they time things out. They They write out things they're going to do. Yes, some spontaneous moments happen, but they kind of know what they're going to do to fill that hour and a half of network TV time. And Geraldo, not so much. Uh, well, they in defense of Geraldo, they did find Charlie Rocket inside Al Capone's vault. Oh, it was the only dear. thing there. Oh boy! Yeah. Oh dear! Too soon. He was, he was cursing. Oh no, no! Wait, hold on. I was just making a reference to the curse. The uh, cursing was that Charlie Rocket or was that somebody else who cursed? On Charlie SNL? Rocket. Yes, he he swore on air on yeah, SNL. They, they did a parody of Who Shot Jr. and they were doing the sign off because like Charlene. Tilton from Dallas was the uh, the host that week. And he was like sort of in character as JR still at the good nights. And he said like, oh yeah, somebody shot me. I'd like to know who the fuck did it. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, th- that's what I was referencing. I, I thought it was Charlie Rocker who, yeah. who swore, not yeah. anything else. Yeah, no, that, that was yeah. him. And that was the, uh, the end of the Gene Dumanian era of SNL after mm. that. So I'll yeah. say this one more time. Maybe we'll cut it out. Like in defense of Geraldo, uh, they did find Charlie Rocket swearing in Al Capone's vault. So that was Got it. it. That was the only thing. And they immediately cut, had to cut the two hour special short. Right. Got it. Right. Like too soon. <laughs> Still too soon. Still too soon. <laughs> Never not too soon. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, this, this movie does have like a lot of stuff that still gives me the, the chuckles. Uh, you know, Spatula mm-hmm. City. <laughs> just such a ridiculous thing to have. In there, just a store. That's funny. Just because "spatula" is a funny word to say. It yeah. really is. 
some funny words, spatula. And, um, yeah, I don't know. There, there is just a, I mean, I will admit, uh, John, like, while it may not, I, I will, it, it, it doesn't quite hold up, but, like, I still have a big, yeah. a lot of affection for this uh, film just because I grew up with it. You don't, you don't have to defend it to me at all. Hmm. I totally get why people would have affection for this film. Um, and, yeah, go nuts. I, I don't want to yuck your yum, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with both of you. It is uh, the perfect film and holds up 100%. Yes, I agree. Okay. And uh, and I'll, I'll just throw in a... a <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, so just a few more trivia things that I, I found when I was looking it up. So uh, the Wheel of Fish sketch, the, the you know, Red Snapper, very tasty. Right. Uh, apparently they use real fish for that. Yeah, which um looks like it. Yeah, so uh, you know, of course they did that. Um, of course, the filming started at four thirty p.m. on a hot summer day in a building that wasn't air conditioned, <laughs> filled with hot right. studio lights and over a hundred extras. And um, yeah, apparently, according to Weird Yankovic, the filming conditions were quote unquote ripe. Yeah. Hmm. Hard to believe that didn't work out well. Yeah, and uh, also we uh, mentioned Philo, the uh, the engineer at a UHF. So he re- they originally wanted Joel Hodgson to do it, and um, when Joel Hodgson, uh, uh, you know, turned it down, they went to uh, Crispin Glover to do it. That works. Yeah, and I that would have worked too. Back to the Future fame, sure. And I think he said he didn't want to do that, but he would play the part as that uh, auto car salesman in that one commercial they had. Oh, where, wow. Like, uh, the, I forget the character's he name. He threatens but... to club the seal, yeah. Yes. We're going crazy at Crazy Eddie's, yeah. Like he's He threatens to club an obviously not baby seal. It was actually a seal, not a seal lion. Or a sea lion, not a seal. I don't know. None of this matters. But yes, that guy. Okay. Right. So Crispin Glover wanted to play that part. But neither yes. Weird Al nor Jay thought he was right for the role, so they passed. Wow. So we almost had Crispin Glover in this film. Too bad. Uh, I I just want to wrap this up by saying my favorite joke in this film, I think still, still is when, uh, when George Weird Al's character is, is in the, doing his kids show and he's in the audience with the kids and they're not interested. They're not feeling it. And he goes up to one little boy and says, what's your name? And he says, the boy says, Billy, Billy, what? And Billy spits in his face. Yeah. For no reason. (laughs) There is so much. And it lingers because George also is wondering, why did this escalate so quickly? And it did. The kid went from like, I'm not interested, but I'll answer you to I'll spit in your face. asking (laughs) my last name. There's something about that's every time it comes on, I laugh my ass off. My friends and I who love this movie, we love that scene. It's the best. That's it's a good scene. Like my favorite. I mean, it may not be PC. I guess right now, you know, because because the lib snowflakes don't want you to laugh no more. But like, I right. think, I mean, supplies. I that still oh. gets a chuckle out of me. I, yeah, I, there's no way of correcting that joke. It's it's entirely an accent joke. Yeah, I'm just saying I'm just saying the word supplies, and that's all I'm gonna say. I'm just gonna walk right, right on back. You want to? You don't want to spoil it. Yeah, 
And uh, oh, uh, another piece of trivia I found. Apparently, um, Ginger Baker, the drummer for the band Cream, auditioned for the role of the uh, panhandling uh, homeless person who <laughs> who who wound up uh, saving the station at the end by buying a ton of shares and stock of it. Wow. Which is I like how you're like no spoilers and then you give away the main plot point of the ending. Oh. Well, there's an old movie. We can do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I just think it's funny that that came like two minutes after you're like, oh, I'm not gonna spoil this. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's, it's fine. fine. Someone is throwing it's their fine iPod out of the window. It's right a, it says here that uh, Jennifer Tilly and Ellen DeGeneres both auditioned for the role of Terry Campbell, which I'm assuming that's uh, Victoria Jackson's role. Yes. It says uh, Ellen DeGeneres was the first choice, but never happened for reasons unknown to Weird Al Yankovic. Hmm. So, no, I can kind of see Jennifer Tilly in that role. I have trouble with seeing Ellen DeGeneres in that role, but yeah, that's true. Like it's. I don't know. But then again, the character of Terry isn't really central. I mean, I hate to say it, but she's she's not really central to not the movie. Much, much less Victoria Jackson in this movie than I was expecting. I was expecting her to, her to be in it throughout, but she kind of just dumps out early in the film, pops up again, like somewhere in the middle. And then at the end, she kind of comes back and she's like, oh, I'll take you back. But I just have to be a part of your your weird fantasies from now on. Not those kind of fantasies, you pervs. Hey, the but movie yeah. parody fantasies. But yeah, I mean that's weird. Like I just don't know if like they kind of had to write her out a little bit just because maybe her, you know, because I, I believe she was still on SNL at the time, so maybe something like that, or she had some other obligations, or like yeah. that's just how her character was written. But yeah, because she's not really in it that much, which is nope. still surprising to me. And since so she doesn't really play like two central a part of the movie, really. Nope. Is, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I know, like, uh, I, I mean, I, I know a ton of people aren't huge, you know, I mean, as far as Victoria Jackson, you know, the the, uh, the actor and, and whatnot, like, she doesn't really get mentioned that much whenever people talk about SNL and, you know, the, their favorite eras or their favorite, uh, you know, uh, cast members. I mean, but she, she I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like she's fallen down the memory hole a little bit. I think, I think probably largely because she just hasn't had any huge successes since she left SNL. So I think she's a little forgotten in that way. I, I even remember in one of the reunion specials, Tom Hanks came out and did a sort of questions from the audience segment or a parody of what they do in the monologues a lot. And Victoria Jackson stood up and she was like, yeah, Tom, I have a question. Whatever happened to me? Um <laughs> Which was sort of a parody, because she did a lot of dumb blonde material on the show. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that was cute, and I, I like that she had enough of a sense of humor to make a joke about that. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's it. She like, apparently kind of went off the deep end somewhere in the last 10 I'm, years or so. I'm or maybe telling she was you, always there and just kept it better hidden. I don't know. Uh, I'm telling you, the ultimate long con of a joke. This is the the dumbest blonde she has ever played. <laughs> it's just a character. It's it's gonna blow our minds. With this, it's all. With this. She'll she'll just get an Oscar for that. Yeah, it's a, it's playing the long game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I I mean I don't know if that's because I mean it seemed like on her time on SNL they kind of just kind of written her that way and just kind of 
put her in that role as uh, almost like uh, Goldie Hawn in Laughing, where she's just like the bubbly, yeah. Oh, yeah. goofy, airheaded blonde person. And it seems like SNL kind of did that to her, where she just like kind of was playing that role. She got a few chances to sort of stretch beyond that, like whenever she did her Roseanne Barr impression or something like that. But yeah, I think yeah. for the most part, she they kind of put her in that role. And also, she she was on an era where there was she was like up against some like bigger stars that were like way more sort of adept at uh, sketch comedy than her like you know jan hooks and dana carvey and hartman and Nora dunn and stuff like that so they kind of eclipsed her mm-hmm. a little bit too i think yeah yeah but i mean i think she i i thought she was good on the show i enjoyed her on the show when in her era and uh yeah i mean she she's definitely a part of what i would say is still my favorite cast because that's that was the cast like when i first started watching on a really regular basis so yeah no we'll always have a nostalgic affection for her because of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I don't right. know. Uh, well, we had, we had uh, like um, what, one of our listeners, uh, Casey Killingsworth, he wanted to contribute to this episode. So he wanted to call in. So he called the, the non-productive hotline, mm. which I'm not even sure I realized we had a hotline, but we have a hotline, you guys. So Frank, do you have the number of that hotline? Offhand, I don't. I do, but what's it worth for you? <laughs> I don't know. I thought you might want to promote oh. your business. Silly oh, me. crap! You're right. Nine seven three forty forty MPN. That's four zero four zero six seven six. Okay. All right. And so you you've listened to this before. I think Darren and I are hearing this for the first time. What's is Casey talking about UHF or is he talking about the new weird movie? I'm not even sure. Uh, yes. And I'll hit play right now for you. Okay. Let's lay it on us. Well, thank you, Darren and John for finally inviting me to be some small part of the SNL nerds podcast. Sorry. I couldn't be a guest on the UHF episode, but it does mean a lot that you invited me to leave his voicemail to, uh, play on the air. And, um, as far as Weird Al UHF related memories, I'd say um seen it a few times. I even wrote a paper about it for an art media class and the professor gave me a B minus saying, you know, I should have been should have talked about how the movie shows more of the hypocrisy in media and just you know, come on, I I can't write about UHF and make it that angry. But um uh I'd have to say my all-time favorite Weird Al memory would have to be at one of the ten concerts I've one of the ten of his concerts I've seen, and specifically one of the five where I've met him at a VIP meet and greet afterwards. So, um, yeah, it was four years ago on the first leg of the ridiculously self-indulgent ill-advised vanity tour, where he just did a completely different set list of all obscure original songs every night and uh, right before that tour started he was taking Twitter requests from fans as to what deep cuts we wanted to see in the set list and I tweeted a few uh, dare to be stupid one more minute some of the originals from Polka Party and of course straight out Lidwood and then like a day later I, well, I tweeted those at him and like a day later I tweeted oh and I'd also love to see you do Velvet Elvis live because from some of the footage I saw on YouTube that sounds really good I'd love to see it live and this is like a 
a week or a day before the show. And he did all of those requests but Velvet Elvis. But um, when it was my turn to meet him after the show, I just said, hi, Al. And he just looked at me and said, Casey. And then he just very excited to see me. And um, I thought he was just reading my name tag. but And then he said to me, nice live tweeting, by the way. And then, because, you know, I was live tweeting the set list because it was a different set list every night for, you know, the fans and because we're going to keep track. And he said, well, I'm I'm glad we could get to all your Twitter requests. And I'm sorry that you, uh, sorry that we didn't play Velvet Elvis. And I'm apologizing in advance that we're not playing it the next night in Grand Junction when you'll see us because, you know, I, this was in Denver on that tour and, the next night, me and a few friends drove like five hours back and forth just to see him in Grand Junction, just to see two different set lists on that tour. And yeah, he complimented me on my live tweeting and apologized for the one song he didn't play at that show. But of course, you know, I thank him for the incredible set list we got anyway. And yeah, that was my favorite Al memory, the moment I found out that he, even though he doesn't follow me on Twitter, he knew who I was and knew me personally from Twitter. And then he did that same tour again this year. I saw him again in Denver two nights in a row in June. And the very first uh the very first song he opened with him the very first night was a song called Velvet Elvis, which I had requested the previous tour on Twitter. I'd like to think it's a little bit more than a coincidence. But um anyway, yeah, those were that was my favorite all-time Weird Al memory, and I'm glad you could invite me to be a part of the show. And um, here's to hoping that you guys uh, do an episode on his newest biopic, Weird, the Al Yankovic story, so I could be a part of that. And that does have some SNL one minute, so it's a tenuous excuse for you guys to cover it and me to be on your podcast. So thanks. And- all right. Thanks, Casey. Fantastic story. Thanks for calling in. We appreciate that. Yeah, yeah it was I mean, cool wow. to hear about your uh, Weird Al experiences, and I'm I'm glad he he played most of your suggestions yeah. at least. Brush with greatness. Yeah, like the fact that he recognized him off of Twitter. That's that's a big deal to anybody. Like when a celeb knows your name, that's like, oh shit. Just... Weird Al is a stalker. That's interesting to know. Yeah, wow, there mm-hmm. you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> heard it here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we put the word out on Twitter that we were doing this movie. Um, got one tweet from our good friend, Manette Marathi, saying about this film, UHF, I appreciate how at certain times it feels like I was watching a Weird Al sketch movie more than an actual movie with a straightforward plot. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good description of the movie. Yeah, yeah. I think it is more of a, a sketch movie than a, a plot movie. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that's our episode, guys. Uh, UHF. Uh, it's uh, I, I say I give it a thumbs up. Frank gives it a thumbs up. Uh, John Trumbull gives it a meh. Thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs <laughs> up. All around, uh, about that's six thumbs up. Everybody gave multiple thumbs up. Yes. That's yeah. how it goes. That's how I remember it. Yes. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I get it that it is an acquired taste. And oddly that you have to acquire at a particular time in your yeah. life, I think at this point anyways. Yeah, I, I just, I just feel like I basically missed my window on this movie. And that's, that's probably why I didn't see it back in the day. And it's probably why I've never really felt the need to 
uh, check it out since. Right. So, so if yeah. I can amend my what I would do with three words in a time travel uh, scenario, oh, yeah, I would tell do. my 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 uh, past self, make Trumbull UHF, and hope that it works out because hmm. you know I'm sure you're gonna. I might have to pick your entire family. And yeah, because I mean, you don't it. you don't have a lot to go on there. You don't yeah. have my first name. You don't have the word C in there. Yeah, no watch, um, no C. It could be. I, yeah. I don't think your message is going to be understood. In fact, I may have already gotten that message and just didn't know what to do with it until yeah. this exact moment. Yeah, now I, I I mean, we weren't even even oh, wow. living in the same state then. Yeah, so, yeah. I yeah, I think yeah. with that message, you're going to end up building a UF, UHF station in Trumbull, Connecticut. Because you're not really. Yeah, that's yeah. That would explain the UHF station I have in Trumbull, Connecticut. Yeah. Mm. See. Okay. Uh, well, we've uh, solved that mystery. That's, that's how yeah. that. That's why that happened. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? Joke's on me. I'm sorry about yeah. it. Well. Well, we've solved the mystery of Frank's life. So yeah, yeah Frank. Thanks so much for uh, making the time to come on and do this, and uh, <laughs> have fun editing this. <laughs> uh, Frank, no. is there anything you want to plug before you you go? Um, yes, uh, our Patreon, if you don't back us on Patreon, I'm going to start cutting out the nouns of these podcasts. So all you get is verbs and adjectives. Wow. Adverbs. That's it. What about pronouns? That's, it. That's all you get. Uh, pronouns. We, we have major problems with pronouns as it is. Oh boy. This is, this is the 21st century and yeah. Those are going to get cut out anyways. You know, libs. Right. Yeah, back our Patreon <laughs> at uh, patreon.com forward slash nonproductive. No, forward slash nonpro. Somebody's going to edit that. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and you'll you'll find ways of giving us money wow. uh, so that we will uh, live to see another day. Thanks, Frank. Yes. Perfectly said, Frank. <laughs> Perfectly said. All our patrons get a share in uh, the uh, station that is non-productive. That's right. Ah, right. Yeah. SOS. Save our station. And uh, as, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I Incredible. Um, I, I also have a Mastodon account, which I'm trying to figure out how the hell that works. So once I oh, yeah. get a handle on You're, that. Uh, I think you're at Darren Credible at Mastodon.social. And I think I'm Frank Ablawi at Mastodon.social. And yes. I think Trumbull Comic at Mastodon.social. If we get one follow from this, yeah, I think it'll all be worth it. Well, right. you know what? Hey, our friend of the show, Manette Moratti, already followed me on Mastodon.social. Oh, so she doesn't count. It has to be a new one from <laughs> this podcast. You count, Manette. You you, you are valid. You matter. I'll say that about I our didn't mean one it fam. That way. I didn't mean it that way, but now that you mention it. Oh, God. Hmm. Oh, you're killing us, Frank. You're killing us. You're killing us. You're killing I, I understand why we don't have you on the show that much now. This was a mistake. This hmm. is what we do with people. He's so, going to cut out our nouns. They, <laughs> <laughs> the well, edit notes just the adjectives and the adverbs and and that'll be horrible you know what i'm gonna do for if, if anyone backs anyone who backs the snl nerds on our patreon this this uh episode i'm gonna release a cut of this episode without my audio track 
just I'm gonna remove my audio track from it. It'll just be it'll just be Darren and John talking to each other with moments of silence and then them reacting to it. So it's like yeah. the, the Garfield without Garfield cut of the yes, podcast. Yes, exactly. Yes, Garfield minus Garfield so, cut of this podcast. That that'll be for you, and it'll only be available for SNL nerds, uh, Patreon backers. I would kind of love that. Yeah. That would be awesome. Sounds like a bargain to me. What a deal. Yeah. So yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. Did I follow? Did I plug my socials? Uh, it's Trumbull Comic uh, at Twitter. T r u m b u l l and the word comic. And then I'm also on the Mastodon dot social under the same handle. And uh, we're at SNL Nerd Show on Twitter. Who knows how much longer that's going to last? Mm. Yes. As yeah. As the platform slowly erodes and falls into the ocean. We're, like we're it's uh who knows how long we're gonna be there. Remember when Twitter was like working how it was supposed to, like a month ago? Yeah. <laughs> were we ever so young, John? Before idiot billionaire boy bought it and then let the other horrible evil idiot billionaire back on and uh, uh, uh simpler times. Simpler times. I just wanted an edit function. That's all I want. <laughs> edit function, you are Nazis. That's all. All I want is a Pepsi. Just one Pepsi. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, what are we doing next week, Darren? Uh, next week, because it's Thanksgiving weekend, uh, we did a little, I did a little searching, trying to find a movie that has a Thanksgiving scene in it. I found this movie mm-hmm. that we've mentioned on a podcast uh, from time to time again. Uh, the Judd Apatow film uh, Funny People with Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen. Funny People. Yes, I've not seen this one since it was originally uh, since it originally came out. I have opinions on it. Um, it'll be interesting to revisit it and see how it how it holds up. Uh, don't did not remember that there was a Thanksgiving uh, scene in it. I'm just going on your word on that. No, it's so. it's a, okay. yeah, I mean it's technically like a Friendsgiving theme where like you know, a bunch of friends come over and then Seth uh, invites Adam Sandler's character over. But yeah, it's well, it's not a long scene, but it's in there. All right. That, that counts. That counts. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. Yeah, you will. <laughs> There's a tenuous connection, which is really all we need here at the SNL Nerd. So, all right. Next week, Funny People with Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen, directed by Judd Apatow and Leslie Mann's in it too, and other people that I don't remember at the moment. So... Check us out then. But until then, nerds Nerds out. out. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablaoui. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.